It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome, everybody, to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. This is part of our Meet the Candidates series, so I'm thrilled to have former Governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, joining me today. Governor, it's great to see you as always, and we're just a few days away from a very big night in Milwaukee next week, so thanks for making a a little time for me today. You got it, Martha. I'm pleased to be with you. Well, thank you. So, you know, um, this came out yesterday, I guess, in The Independent. Trump accused of skipping debate because he's scared of Chris Christie. He knows he's a prosecutor who's ruthless and knows how to push his case. Is that what's happening here? I don't know. I think it looks like he's a coward, Martha. Uh, I don't know any other conclusion to come to, because if you listen to Donald Trump, you know, he says he's got a great record. He was a great president. Well, heck, if he had a great record and was a great president and going to be a great candidate, I don't know why you wouldn't be on that stage just trying to dominate. Um, And, you know, everything in that headline I agree with, probably except the ruthless part, but I do know how to push my case. And the case to be made to Republican voters is Donald Trump failed us during his presidency. He failed us horribly in his post-presidency. And he will fail us again if we make him the candidate. And so we need to move on. You know, looking back at your political career, very successful governor in New Jersey. Everybody wanted you to run for president before running for a second term. And it looks like in New Hampshire, you're getting another potential shot at something that uh, has no doubt been in your mind for a long time. How do you feel about the fact that you are now neck and neck with Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire and, and have kind of risen through this process, at least in this moment. It feels great. And I think that it's a message that the voters are sending early on here, Martha. I'm, you know, I'm not, as you know, you've known me for a long time from New Jersey. I'm not subtle. Um, I don't, uh, you know, mince words. I say what I really believe. And that's what I've been saying for the first two and a half months of this race. So we're really gratified that we're seeing some real traction in New Hampshire. We have a lot of work to do because I'm not playing to come in second place. I'm playing to come in first. And so we've got a lot of work still to do, but I'm really gratified by how it's been going so far. And I think that what voters are saying is the truth does matter uh, and it matters to them. And I'm going to keep saying it. You know, a lot of folks look at this race and, and the more I dig into the numbers here, the more convinced I am that they could be wrong, because a lot of folks say this is over. It's a rematch. It's going to be Biden and Trump. He's ahead by a mile, by 30 points in most of these races. But in some of the polls that we got this week, it also reflects the fact that about two thirds of Republican voters are either in the non-Trump category, which I think it's safe to say you are these days, or the persuadable category. It makes up about 62% of Republican voters. So what do you make of that disconnect when it looks like he's so far ahead, but then it looks like people aren't convinced of what they want to do? Well, I think that's what campaigns are for, right? Uh, What campaigns are for is for people, they've already made up their mind about Donald Trump, Martha. I think most people have made up their mind that either they're for him or they're not. And then the next question becomes, okay, if I'm not for him, then who am I for? And I think that's what this campaign is going to be all about is for um, those of us who are in this race to try to convince them that we have the best message, the winning message, um, you know, to be able to do this the right way. And so, you know, it's it's um, it's one of those things where 
everyone's trying to figure out this race in August of 2023. And if we had tried to figure out this race in August of 2015, the two front runners at that time were Jeb Bush and Scott Walker, um, right up until the debate that we had in August of 2015, where Donald Trump really moved ahead. So it's a long way to go here. So, you know, we're doing a lot of preparation for next week for this debate, trying to come up with the best questions and trying to make sure that everybody has opportunities to talk about their own vision for the country. And then also, you know, it's got to be about how are you going to beat the other people on that stage and also the former president. Right. So a, a memo has been reported today by The New York Times. It's purported to be from the DeSantis campaign, and it outlines uh, a few things that are coming from reportedly from the DeSantis campaign about what Governor DeSantis must do in this debate. Among them, defend Trump when Christie attacks him. Trump isn't here, so let's just leave him alone. He's too weak to defend himself here. We're all running against him. I don't think we want to join forces with someone on this stage who's auditioning for a show on MSNBC. Do you think he's referring to you there? I assume so. Um, But once again, as with most things um, that has happened to the DeSantis campaign so far, uh, misfire. Um, Because, you know, the bottom line is that if he believes that telling the truth about Donald Trump is liberal, then he misunderstands most of our party. Um, I think people just want the truth. This is not a liberal truth, a conservative truth or a moderate truth. This is the truth that we have a front runner right now is under indictment in four different jurisdictions. And whether you believe that these acts were criminal or not, the real key, Martha, here is, do you believe this conduct is acceptable? Whether it's criminal or it isn't, do we really want to pretend this is normal? Do we want to put this person in the Oval Office and say to our children, this is a role model for you to emulate? I I think the answer to that is no on each one of those questions. And if that's the case, then we need to move on. And if Governor DeSantis wants to come to the debate on Wednesday night um, and be uh, Donald Trump's wingman, I mean, that's his choice. Um, I don't think it's a winning strategy, but more important than that, I don't think it's the right thing to do. So tell me when you look ahead, you know, what you think the plan is, because obviously you hope to deconstruct the the Trump argument and the Trump polling, which is, you know, I mean, we're all a little circumspective about polling, right? Because we've learned that lesson the hard way over the last several presidential elections. But let's assume that it's ballpark, uh, that, you know, he's he's in the lead. How do you deconstruct that over time? And what do you how do you see these different criminal um, moments uh, in the courtroom moments, I should say, playing out here? You know, when you really look down the long term, because so far people say, well, the indictments help him. He's stronger because of them. And he's going to keep pushing that all the way through. And there's a huge reflexive defend him sentiment among a lot of Republicans. Sure. And I think you put your finger on it in one of your earlier questions, Martha. You know, 62 to 65 percent of the people in our party either definitively want to move on from Donald Trump or are looking to consider someone to move on from Donald Trump. Well, that's the pond I'm fishing in. I'm not gonna go fish in the pond of the 35% or so of the folks who say they're definitively for Donald Trump. And that's why I don't understand, you know, Governor DeSantis's strategy of going up there and defending Donald Trump and being by his side. 
Um, so the way it deconstructed is to make the case and in the way that independent headline laid it out. I am an experienced prosecutor, and I do know how to look at the facts and lay out a case in a persuasive way. And the fact is that Donald Trump is under criminal indictment. Martha, it's even more stark than that. He's out on bail in four different jurisdictions. We have a candidate for president who's out on bail. I mean, how do we think that person is going to beat Joe Biden with independence this fall? He's not. He didn't in 2020, and he won't this time. And so if we want to be a Republican Party that is consigned to minority status for the next four years beyond this one, um, then nominate Donald Trump. That's the way you deconstruct the argument. And there are a lot of facts to back that up, many of which I suspect you'll hear on Wednesday night. The former president's argument is going to be, look, I, I'm a fighter and no, I'm fighting for you. He says it all the time. He gets huge response when he talks about being a fighter. People say, well, he's tough. He's the toughest person to go up against, you know, the, against the Chinese. He understands what's you know, going on in the world and he's going to be tough and he's going to fight for us. That's a very persuasive argument with a lot of people. They also feel like he's been wronged, maligned, and they want to make sure that he gets another shot. So they see him as winning the nomination. And then they say, you know what? People have seen four years of Joe Biden and they think the economy stinks and they learn their lesson and they're not going to let him lose again. What do you say to them? Yeah, well, to those people, I say a few things. First is is that he really is not fighting for them. He's fighting for himself. And when you listen to any of these speeches, he is saying now, um, I am your retribution. Uh, we don't want him to be our retribution. We want a president who inspires us and who makes the country a better place. Donald Trump's going to spend most of this campaign and probably a good number of years after this campaign defending himself in criminal courtrooms around this country. He's not fighting for us. And to say that he got indicted for us is ridiculous. He got indicted because of what he did, because of his conduct. And to the extent, Martha, that he's been maligned at times, and he has been, uh, much of that he's brought on himself through his own conduct, his own words, his own immaturity, his own self-consumption. And so now he has to deal with the ramifications for that. That's what we would tell our kids. If they had been engaged in bad conduct, we wouldn't send our kids uh, to the White House. We'd send them to their room. And that's the way we've got to look at this. And in terms of being tough on President Xi, let's not forget, Martha, this was the guy who said at the beginning of COVID, we could trust President Xi. He's a brilliant leader. He's handling this before they unleashed a global pandemic on the entire world. Donald Trump will agree with anyone who kisses his rear end, Martha. That's it. And that's what Vladimir Putin has done effectively, Kim Jong-un, President Xi. And that's why he's had nice things to say about them until it's convenient not to say nice things anymore politically. OK, well, um, we've talked a lot about about Trump and I asked you questions about him. So that that's one of the main reasons. Um, but you're being seen as sort of the person who is going after him. Right. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell us completely separate from that. People do want the country to be great again, to borrow a phrase. So. Give me your best argument for why it should be you. What's your priority? What would you touch first? What would you fix first to make America great again? First thing we do, Martha, on day one is assign an executive order to bring the National Guard to the southern border to interdict fentanyl. 
We have an enormous drug problem in this country. 110,000 fellow Americans died of overdoses last year. It's now the leading killer among men 18 to 34. We would try. We would start to put a stop to that. Second, um, we would slow down inflation back to where it's manageable for the American people at two percent or less um, by stopping the crazy government spending. When I was governor of New Jersey, we had an eleven billion dollar deficit on a twenty nine billion dollar budget, and I balanced that budget not by raising taxes, but by eliminating eight hundred and thirty six individual programs in the state budget um, that we kept eliminated. And we balanced our budget. We'll do the same thing at the federal level to start to get spending under control. What would you cut? Third, what would you cut first? Pardon me for interrupting. Martha, Martha everything would be on the table. Um, we'd have to also deal with entitlements. Um, and I've got a plan about how we would deal with entitlements. Uh, but everything has to be on the table. There's no sacred cows. And quite frankly, I'd want to stay away from defense because we have work that we have to do there. We have to do it better. Um, but other than that, everything else is going to be on the table to talk about. Um, third, education in this country. A third of our kids do not read at grade level, K-12. to A third. And we spend $800 billion a year on K-12 education. I want to have educational freedom in this country where parents get to choose and have that money go to parents for them to choose whether their children go to a public school, a parochial school, a private school, a charter school, or a renaissance school. We need to challenge our educational system, challenge the teachers' unions who are controlling them, and make sure that parents get to make these decisions, not members of a union who care more about their members than they care about the children they're supposed to be teaching. And lastly, Martha, we cannot go away from being a force for good and stability in the world. I am not one of these folks who believes we shouldn't be involved in Ukraine. In fact, I think we should be sending more weaponry to Ukraine. We should be sending fighter jets to Ukraine. We should be sending them more artillery. This is a proxy war against China, Martha. China is funding the Russian war effort. They are coordinating the assembly of more sophisticated weapons from North Korea and Iran to send to Russia to fight the Ukrainians. And I was in Ukraine two weeks ago. I saw it for myself, the barbarism being committed in Vladimir Putin's name by the Russian army. America cannot fill the moat and pull up the drawbridge, Martha. We need to have this fight with China now, because if we don't, we're going to be having it in Taiwan with American men and women being killed. Right now, Ukrainians just want weaponry to win the war on their own. If we do that, we'll send a strong message both to Putin and to Xi that America is going to stand with its friends and not allow any of us to be bullied in this world. Um, that's a preview from Governor Christie, and we will hear more from him on Wednesday night on the debate stage in Milwaukee. It's going to be a very big night, and uh, we look forward to it, Governor. And it's good to talk to you today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for giving me the time, Martha. I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday night in Milwaukee. You bet. We'll see you there. Thank you, Governor. The Untold Story continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Welcome to The Untold Story, part two today. We're really excited to have our second guest with us today as we continue our Meet the Candidate series. He's the founder of Kilbourne Group, a Fargo-based real estate development firm, co-founder of Arthur Ventures, and the North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum. So welcome, uh, Doug. It's great to have you here, Governor. Great Thank to be you very much for yeah, being with us. Great to be with you, So, um, you know, I always, it's called The Untold Story. So I always like to kind of ask people right off the top, what is it that, pe- that you want people to understand about you personally, about your story? Tell us who you are. 
Well, thank you. The first thing people need to understand is that I grew up in a town, Arthur, North Dakota, 300 people. Didn't have paved streets, gravel roads, no curb and gutter, but fantastic growing up in a community like that, having an opportunity to work on the farm, work on the ranch, uh, you know, work at the local grain elevator. Uh, my dad was a World War II Navy vet. Uh, he passed away when I was a freshman in high school. And, but he, from him, I learned about service and sacrifice. And my uh, mom went back to work. She had raised three kids, single mom. I got a chance to see about her, her perseverance and her courage and, and her, the grit that she had. And so, I, I mean, I wouldn't trade that you know, with anything. And then uh, when I was in my uh, mid-20s after working jobs where you take a shower at the end of the day versus the end of the day, mm -hmm. I had a little bit of farm ground that I got from my dad. Uh, 160 acres, which is in North Dakota, not enough for dry land. You could never farm on that. You'd need thousands of acres to actually farm. But I did the thing that no one ever does. You take a mortgage out against the farmland. That became the seed capital uh, for a little startup called Great Plains Software. And we started with less than 10 people. And we built that thing. Uh, 18 years later, we're an overnight success story with 2,000 employees and uh, customers in 132 countries, and and uh, and then we built a billion-dollar company with kids from uh, from small towns, 200 small towns from across North Dakota. And everybody said it couldn't be done, uh, and the same way, uh, you know, in 2016 when they said, "Hey, you know, nobody knows who you are, and you've never been in politics, and you, you know, the primary is six months away." Uh, you don't have a chance of uh, you know winning this governor's race. You're down 60 points in the poll, and we ended up, uh, you know, winning the primary by 20 points and the general election by over 40 points. Got reelected by over 40 points. But you know, we just bring a you know problem-solving, innovators approach to what we're doing. But those are that's the <clears throat> quickest, fastest summary from there to here. You have a great story, and I've heard you tell it, and it's um, very compelling. And you know, so you're you're governor. You've achieved all these dreams. What makes you start thinking? I should actually run this whole country. Well, it started with the the decision to run for governor. I mean, that's the big decision, leave the private sector and go into the public sector. But that was really driven out of a combination of both the heart of service and also just an observation. It, the success that we'd had in the private sector, we were starting to do some philanthropy. And I was, you know, helping like the local rural high school that I had, you know, grown up attending. And then I started asking questions, said, well, how much does the state of North Dakota spend on K-12? And then when I found out it was a little state like North Dakota was spending a billion dollars a year on K-12, I came home to Catherine and I said, hey, maybe we should, you know, think about giving our time versus, you know, our, you know, just our treasure in terms of supporting things like education or health care. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, Kilburn Group was named after my mother, but we had it. We were focused on trying to restore and save historic buildings in downtown Fargo. We'd done uh, work with a number of different nonprofits. We'd done work with the homeless. We'd done work with the New American Clinic and, and we were doing all that. And I started asking questions about health care. And I was like, wow. So, that, you know, we're spending, you know, billions on health care. So we so said, let's, you know, let's just jump into this thing and see what happens and you know she wasn't sure she ever wanted to be first lady of anything and i said don't worry you know we're down we're down 60 points in the polls you don't, have to worry about <laughs> don't that. worry honey we're gonna lose i yeah. promise yeah. So, maybe not yeah. <laughs> um does she want to be first lady of the united states now she does now she's got an incredible story and you should have her on but she struggled with the disease of addiction for 25 years and and uh now she's been in recovery for over 20 years and when she never Never sought help when she was struggling and she never talked about her recovery. And now when she became first lady, she said, hey, I've got to I got to share my my story and use my face and voice to help inspire other people about the hope of recovery. And she's now on the 
the uh, National Board of Trustees of Hazleton Betty Ford. She's won national awards for, for her work on recovery. She hosts an annual conference and really a huge movement in North Dakota around uh, recovery communities and what that's done. It's changed a bunch of our policies in North Dakota, driven policies about what we do with uh, with our how we relate to our tribes, the disease of addiction, people reentering, uh, you know, coming out of our criminal justice system, because the disease of addiction just affects you know every every family, every community, uh, and everywhere in the country. And now with the you know 110,000 overdose deaths under you know happening under Joe Biden, I mean this is a you know each year i mean we've lost like four vietnam's worth of people to overdose deaths in the last two years under biden and and then he's we're not doing anything about stopping the flow of fentanyl that comes into the country and so you know your question was is she in i mean she's an introvert she you know not into the public eye wouldn't want to be out in front of anything but she's like hey if we could you know if we can save one life it'd be worth it let's go well it's a very inspiring story and um it, you know, when you look at the, the field, you're going to be on that debate stage. You had a creative way of, of, of getting there, um, sort of paying people to contribute to your campaign. I would say we had it. It was certainly creative, but it was entrepreneurial. I mean, yeah. we went to the you know, these clubhouse rules were designed to keep people like me off the stage. I mean, they were designed for people that had national name recognition and held national office, had been pundits on national TV. But if you're a kid from a small town that's been an entrepreneur, you know, you know, created thousands of jobs, made payroll every every week for the last two weeks. They weren't designed for you because you don't have name recognition. And that's the that's the way you get on polls. That's the way you get people to donate. So we, we you know, we went to all of these firms that said, oh, we can help you with, you know, raising money. And we said, what what is what's that going to cost? And they're like, right. oh, you know, like a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks. Welcome, a donor. To, welcome to national politics. Yeah, right. And I'm like, that's I mean, I, we just looked at it. I just do it myself for 20. Yeah, well, then it turns out it's less than 20 because just like any entrepreneur that would be starting an online business, you start with a promotion. People come to your website and they go, well, this is cool. I, I like what he's talking about. He's talking about energy. He's talking about economy, talking about national security. I think I'll buy a T-shirt. I'll buy a hat. I'll buy a mug. You know, they'll buy some merch. Uh, and then some of them say, I don't need the gift card. And some of them say, well, maybe I'll give more than a dollar. I mean, I want to see this guy in the debate stage. And then guess what? They come back a second time. And so we got this thing done for one fifth the price of what they would have been charging uh, if you'd just gone to a traditional, the best of the best online fundraising thing. So it's a, you know, it's just what, what we've always done is, is innovation, not regulation. You come up with a rule. And I didn't complain. We didn't complain to the RNC or anybody. We just said, oh, that's the rule. We'll figure out a way to, you know, do, do a creative hack at a fraction of the cost. That's the way government should be trying to figure out how to get everything done for one fifth of what it does. And that's what I've done my whole life. I've heard you talk about regulation and the impact on business across the country. I know it's something you're really passionate about. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week that broke down, I think it was a Stanford study. Um, don't quote me on that, but I, it was a study that was quoted in the Wall Street Journal uh, that said that the regulatory cost um, per family in America in the Biden administration is $5,000 a year. So the regulations that are put on businesses and those costs are then passed on to consumers, $5,000 a year. I think in the Obama administration, it was something like 4000 in that range per year. In the Trump administration, it was negative $2,000 um, in terms of the regulations that were cut. So what, you know, what would you cut first? Well, you know, if you had a moment and you will on Wednesday to talk to voters, what would you tell them about how's my life going to change if you cut regulations? Why do you care about that so much? Well, the, the first thing is we've got to start selling energy to our friends and allies and stop buying it from our enemies. Uh, if you just did that, and then you say, well, what, is, how does, what does that mean? 
Well, you know, energy comes in a lot of forms. It comes in the form of a battery. I mean, we got the Biden administration is subsidizing 5,000 EV charging stations with taxpayer money, 1.2 trillion of the inflation, ill-named inflation reduction, which is the Inflation Creation Act. And then you've got a, you know, we're gonna subsidize the vehicles, but we're gonna buy the batteries from China. And China, you know, controls 85% of the rare earth minerals. Well, then we're just, we're helping our, our number one threat. We're in a cold war with China, but we're gonna, you know, stop, you know, getting oil and gas from OPEC, but we're gonna start getting batteries from China. I mean, that is, makes completely no sense. And then guess what? It's not good for the environment because that battery is being made in China in a plant that's being run by a coal plant, just like the solar It lasts forever. Plant. What do you do with the battery right. after it dies? Yes. This is a question that no one ever wants yeah. to right. grapple with. And a solar panel made in China, which is where most of the solar panels are made, are made in plants run by coal plants because they don't the electricity in china is coming from coal plants they're opening up a coal plant every two weeks and they, they'll open more than we could shut down all in the united states and so the, this this whole idea and then you've got you know new england i'm campaigning in new england and i find out at the time of the the russian invasion of ukraine there was four hundred thousand barrels of dirty russian heating oil being offloaded into the northeastern part of our United States at the time of that invasion. Why do more people in New Hampshire use dirty heating oil than any other state in the nation? It's because you can't permit with the red tape, starting with Obama and then with Biden, you can't get a natural gas pipeline from the Marcellus Shale in Pennsylvania up to New England. We could be burning clean U.S. natural gas. So, so on, on day one, you know, this thing that's all captured in one sentence is, you know, sell energy to our allies, stop buying it from adversary. That means that we've got to cut red tape. We've got to approve transportation methodologies like pipelines that are safe and effective and stop being dependent on foreign dictators for heating our homes in the United States. I mean, this makes no sense whatsoever. And if you actually cared about the environment at all, you wouldn't want China doing what they're doing. You know, they call them rare earth minerals for a reason. They're counted in parts per million. So China tears up the Congo moves 500,000 pounds of earth to get enough material for one battery, and then we're feeling good about driving an electric car in the U.S. When they're right. ripping off the world, they don't even have an EPA. Uh, and and little, in many cases, little kids are digging for it. Yes. In China. Yes. Babies. Um, so the Trump question, he has the biggest support. Is 71% of Republican voters say that they want to stand behind the former president. He's got four indictments. He's going to have a lot of court dates over the course of the next year. Why should Republican voters not support him? Well, I don't know. You asked that in reverse. I mean, I think that everybody that I talk to, you know, on the campaign trail says, hey, do we have two tiered system of justice? Do we have a, you know, one for, you know, one for one party and one for another party or one for one family and not for another family? So I don't think there's anything of that, but I just think that competition is great for the uh, Republican Party. I think it's great for America. And we're running against Joe Biden. And when the voting starts next January, then voters are going to have to decide who they think is in the best position to beat Joe Biden, who they think has got the best uh, you know, capability to manage our way through a world, a changing economy in this world where you know, technology is changing every job, every company and every industry. And it certainly needs to change government and hasn't changed government. And someone who's got the the business experience to be able to figure out a way to, you know, get our budget under control and stop the crazy inflation that's going on. I mean, 22 year, year high interest rates, uh, the inflation number, you talk about the red tape impact. I mean, the, just this week, even CNN ran the report that said that uh, over $700 a month additional cost per family since Biden took office in terms of the cost of what they're just to put, you know, food on their table and gas in their car. So you, if you you sign the pledge, so you'll support President Trump if he's the nominee. I will support uh, 
any Republican against Joe Biden next November. All right, Doug Burgum, our, our conversation is, is just beginning. I look forward to continuing it on Wednesday. Thank you very much for being here. It's very nice to meet you in person, sir. Well, likewise, Thanks for making the time. look forward to seeing you in Milwaukee. Absolutely. We will see you in Milwaukee. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members. Members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.